This information is subject to a disclaimer at the end of this podcast. Please ensure that you listen to the disclaimer and go to www.ubs.com for further information about UBS. Hi, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to UBS Global Research Pod Hub, a channel that shares insights from economists, strategists, and equity analysts on the pivotal questions and events shaping today's markets. My name is Robin Farley. I'm the Leisure and Hotel Analyst at UBS. And in this episode, we're going to be taking a high-level look at the travel space, including cruise lines, hotels, and airlines. I'm joined by Miles Walton, the Airlines and Aerospace Defense Analyst at UBS. Miles, thanks for joining. And to start, um, why don't you walk us through where we are now with air travel and the trajectory for recovery? Sure thing. Thanks, Robin. Uh, global air travel, typically it's measured in available seat miles, measure of capacity that's in the system. And those available seat miles uh, right now are sitting somewhere in the 65 to 70% level of where we were in 2019. Pretty far off from 2019, but well up, almost double from where we were at the heart of the crisis. So where we sit today with respect to the U.S. traveler, you're still in that Omicron variant wave, hopefully approaching the end of that sweeping across the country. I think as you look out over the next few weeks, we're looking for a pickup in bookings as people see the case counts come down and as uh, corporates in particular start to give the notices to return to the office in more size, we'll see a pickup in that uh, traffic as well. We do sense that the pandemic is moving to the endemic psychology stage in the U.S. A lot of the travel restrictions tend to be coming through with lessening effect. And we're also seeing some uh, some signs that the U.S. consumer is also seeing a bit of light at the end of the tunnel. The EBS Evidence Lab U.S. reopening corporate survey this week improved to 43% willing to travel in the next six months. That's versus 39% willing to travel in the next six months last week. So a very slight improvement, but the first improvement we've seen in the last couple of months that were deteriorating on the back of Omicron. Now, as we look for the trajectory from here for recovery, we think it's going to take a while. It's going to take a while to recover the uh, the corporate traveler in particular. The domestic traveler actually in the fourth quarter was almost back to 100% of 2019 levels, whereas the corporate traveler was probably closer to about 60% of 2019 levels. So ways to go. It'll be spotty. It'll be jagged. Uh, and it'll be particularly uh, challenging as you look to the international landscape where different territories, countries have different travel restrictions. So, Robin, what about you? Where, within the, the dodging and cruise sectors, where are we now uh, relative to the crisis and what's the trajectory from here? Sure, great. So for hotels, um, we look at a measure called RevPAR, which is revenue per available room. And that looks at occupancy of hotel rooms and also the price paid for those rooms. And where we are now, uh, so 2021 came in about 17% below 2019 levels. So that is up 66% year over year, but obviously Still, uh, still a ways below where we were in 2019. And then more recently in Q4, um, RevPAR was up about three to 4%. Um, and occupancy is below 2019 level still, but price uh, rate being paid is above that already. Um, so we're looking in terms of recovery for RevPAR to be back by 2023. And there's a lot of discussion about how much business travel will come back and how much will be replaced by 
zooms. Um, but one thing is clear in terms of trends is that leisure travel um, is already above 2019 levels. So it's not even a theoretical, you know, will people travel more for leisure after the pandemic? It's already happening now. Um, it's surprising in some ways to see the number of um, leisure room nights um, in, in 2021, even going back to the first quarter of 2021, there were more leisure room nights than there were, um, you know, nights stayed um, than there were in 2019. Um, and, and so I think some of the um, impact of the, you know, remote work and working from home is that working from home really means working from anywhere. So that allows for a little bit more leisure travel and working from, from other locations that has helped offset the fact that business travel is clearly um, not back to anywhere near those levels yet. Um, and and kind of talking about that leisure demand being uh, better than the business in terms of recovery is kind of a good segue to the cruise sector um, because the cruise lines are, uh, you know, pure leisure travel and there's a fair amount of pent up demand for cruise lines because they were not allowed to start sailing out of the U.S. again for about 15 months. So we're just starting to see that recovery. As you mentioned, you know, this, the, the disruption more recently from Omicron is, is impacting some near-term travel, but we are seeing price and volume for the third quarter and the fourth quarter, you know, the third quarter, of course, being the peak um, leisure travel season. We're seeing price and what's on the books up at a, a double digit rate um, versus 2019 at the same time. Uh, so there's there's clear pent up demand there. And really it's a function of, you know, how much the near term disruption of Omicron, you know, does something like that extend or, or do other things like that happen? But, um, but certainly looking out to summer of 2022, um, a lot of, of pent-up leisure demand there for the cruise lines in particular since they have not been allowed to reopen before. Yeah, I think we're seeing a lot of that same flip-flops and tank tops recovery dynamic in, in airlines as well. What, how, how is this recovery and, and crisis for that matter different from prior uh, crises that your industry has had to go through, Robin? Sure. So um, probably the biggest difference for the hotels is uh, unlike any other downturn, this recovery is being led by room rate first, by price rather than by occupancy. In other words, in every other downturn, uh, if, if RevPAR is down 10 or 15%, you can't simply raise prices that much the following year. You usually have to sort of dig your way out slowly. And usually you have to wait for occupancy to be over 70% before a hotel can raise their rate because if you raise your rate too soon, then the hotel across the street will capture that business. And so the market generally has to have a certain amount of occupancy recovery before any hotels are comfortable raising rate. What's different now from any other downturn is rate is already ahead of 2019. Rate is leading this um, and, and there's pricing power from the hotels um, for two reasons. One is clearly it's the nature of what this disruption is. Rate is higher um, and, and the occupancy will kind of solve itself as people feel more comfortable and, and safer traveling. And then also inflation. Um, inflation is helping with the pricing power because when you're selling hotel rooms, you can reprice that inventory every day. Unlike, a, you know, if you look at other real estate um, 
where you would have, uh, you know, longer term leases. You can reprice your inventory every day if you're a hotel. And so that inflation and the fact that um, there is so much travel concentrated on, on leisure periods and, and leisure markets um, that they are able to get that higher price because where we're not seeing recovery is uh, is in the top, you know, 25 urban markets, the, the New York, San Francisco, those markets that cater much more to business travel. Um, we're not seeing the recovery there as strongly as we are in other markets. So what's very different about this recovery for the hotels is that is that pricing power that we're seeing. Um, how, how is that for airlines? What's different about recovery for the airline sector? I think the biggest factor of differentiation for airlines this cycle is uh, that we've had massive government assistance. Government assistance that really was a, a means by which jobs could be secured, that workforce trained pilots and flight attendants and crew members could all retain their positions by and large. And also what it did is it covered a lot of the, the underlying expenses of these airlines through the crisis and probably prevented some business models from, from significant restructuring. So to your point about the spring back and the way you recover off of the bottom, what's interesting is the, the industry is poised to, to do things that it may not have been able to do in the past. And by that, I mean, get out of the gates early to restore capacity. Um, because they have the liquidity, they have the financial position that they wouldn't have had otherwise, given the, the lack of demand. I think there are other, so that's a positive. I think on the negative side, uh, what's different is uh, the discont discontinuity globally in how uh, different countries are treating the crisis. So you've got travel restrictions that come and go. You've got jagged uh, public policy decisions that are being made. Uh, in different regions that have different interpretations, which is causing significant friction for uh, consumers and for the airlines alike to try and model where demand is actually going to be on any given day in any given region. And that dynamism of uh, demand is something that, for all intents and purposes, has broken the way by which they forecast uh, their own pricing. And so they've had to largely start from scratch as to where should they put capacity, how should they price it, because of all of their old systems largely broke down uh, under these you know, constraints that we have here. We're getting back to the point um, at current demand levels where we can exist uh, with the, the past revenue management systems and we're getting there, but that has been certainly a, a difference of the past. I think the other is going to be on a global basis. Uh, some countries have come to the aid governmentally of airlines and some haven't. And so what that's going to do is on the international landscape of travel, uh, the U.S. carriers in particular are pretty advent advantaged as they go back into that competitive market. Some of their you know, most aggressive international competitors didn't get the kind of assistance the U.S. carriers did, and that's going to put them in a much better position to gain share and, and uh, fly consumers globally. Interesting. So I was going to ask you what is, you know, constraining the recovery for airlines. And I know you, you touched on some of those things. Is there anything else you would say is kind of constraining recovery? Yeah, it, it always starts with people uh, to some extent, pilots, uh, flight attendants and general crew. And even though there was a lot of government to, governmental aid to preserve those, uh, those people, at the same time, some uh, had natural attrition and some decided to leave the workforce. Uh, and so by, by 
nature, you're looking at the, each of the individual U.S. airlines looking to hire thousands of people and thousands of people in very skilled uh, roles like the pilots take time to work their way through the system. And so what you are seeing is uh, shortages of those crew members, uh, the hiring of regional carriers, pilots by mainline carrier pilots or hiring of private pilots by regional pilots. And so it is a largely fixed population at the moment. We're trying to grow it as an industry, uh, but there is a constraint there. The other constraints are cost, uh, inflation, and and trying to maintain some discipline as, as capacity comes back into the system. Uh, you want to be disciplined about how much you add such that you can you know, pass along some of the cost inflation, whether it be fuel or third party or, or labor and wages. Um, so I think those are the, the big constraints that, that are currently uh, out there right now. Masks on planes, are they a constraint? Um, it does not seem to be the case as it relates to the leisure traveler. Uh, I think the constraints as it relates to the corporate traveler are more about getting back to the office. So as the, the corporate call comes for more return to office, I think that constraint um, will, be, will be removed, at least in part. And, and for your industries, Robin? What would you say? Are so, constraining? yeah, for for the hotels, a very similar um, issue in terms of labor shortage. Um, there, there's definitely um, a, an issue with labor shortage and wage compression um, on the expense side of things. Um, interestingly, for the cruise lines, it's not an issue because the cruise lines tend to source their labor uh, from, from a global market. Um, so they're not facing uh, the same issue that a lot of hospitality is facing right now in terms of labor shortage. The cruise lines have an advantage there. Um, from, a, from a sort of a macro perspective, constraining recovery, of course, I'm sure the same for you is, you know, is that um, the return of business travel is kind of the piece that um, that that needs to show more recovery for the, for the hotel sector. And, um, you know, you were talking about mask mandates and how that's how that's impacting recovery just an interesting point with cruise lines um, because they are requiring uh, vaccinations so it's really um, compared to anywhere else that you could go on vacation or even to the grocery store where the only place you know that you know 98 minimum 98 up to 100 um, percent of, of people are vaccinated so the the um, you know, significantly safer um, than than a lot of other um, options in terms of, of leisure travel. So, it's just uh, cruise lines are, are positioned a little bit differently than than the hotels more broadly. And then, of course, uh, hotels are, are you know the, of the two sectors, the only ones that that need business travel to come back as well. So, I would say um, those are some of the issues for for those different sectors, but certainly labor as well for the hotels. So, thinking a little bit longer term as we wrap up. Uh, Robin, once COVID is behind us, and that's not the topic of conversation for travel industries, what's the largest one or two industry trends that that are going to be out there? Sure. So uh, when when we think about recovering from the pandemic, it's not just about going back to 2019. It's going back to, you know, what was the trajectory of growth or what were the trends that were impacting 2019? And the, and the, you know the years uh, heading into the pandemic, and how will those um, influences impact travel? And what I would say is that you know we had already had a couple of years of record um, travel in the U.S. Really starting in 2014, coming out of the financial crisis, record occupancy, 
every year from 2014 to 2019, um, despite the fact that supply was growing in the hotel business, despite the growth of all of the alternative accommodations um, out there as well that, that some view as competing with hotels. And yet there were um, still record levels um, of, of occupancy at hotels, even with all of that um, additional supply. So I think a lot of that um, desire for a lot of travel, that that demand for travel, we're still going to see. Uh, we have the baby boomers, you know, retiring, uh, having discretionary spending, and I think a lot of what was driving that in 2019 is going to drive that after the pandemic. So, even if business travel doesn't come back and some meetings are replaced by Zoom, I think we're going to continue to see the same type of growth in travel and the desire that people have to travel. Um, and of course, probably a fair amount of pent up demand uh, in addition to um, to what, uh, you know, the, the growth that we had been seeing before the pandemic. So that's our, our sort of longer term outlook. How, how about for the airlines? Yeah, I think there's two things I'd bring up. One is the the monetization of the, the knowledge base of flying customers that the airlines have largely through their loyalty programs. Um, they have found a way pre-crisis uh, to really monetize those social networks and it became an integral part of their financial uh, you know, the financial system of running an airline. I think that has nowhere to go uh, but up. The other trend is probably low cost carriers as the US becomes more of a follower to the uh, European trend the U.S. ultra-low-cost carriers might account for 10% of global, excuse me, lowest U.S. capacity. In Europe, that's about 35% share is ultra-low-cost carriers. Is And the question will be, is that where the U.S. is heading? Really low fares, bringing lots more travelers to the U.S. airspace. Um, those would be the two I think I'd focus on. Interesting. Well, thank you for taking the time and thank you everyone for visiting the UBS Research Pod Hub. That was an overview of the travel landscape with me, Robin Farley, Leisure and Hotel Analyst, and Miles Walton, Airlines and Aerospace Defense Analyst at UBS. So tune in again for more investment insights. Thank you. This content has been prepared by UBS AG, its subsidiaries and or affiliates, and is purely informational in nature. It is not investment research and does not contain an investment recommendation, nor investment or professional advice. It is not an offer or solicitation to engage in any investment activity, and you should seek your own financial, tax, and legal advice before engaging in any such activity. UBS has no responsibility to you in relation to this content and has no regard to your personal circumstances or investment objectives, and receiving it does not imply any form of client relationship with UBS for any legal, regular regulatory or tax purpose. This content is not intended for distribution into any jurisdiction where to do so would be contrary to law or regulation. UBS does not accept any liability over the content of such material or reliance upon any information contained herein. The views and opinions expressed by any guest speaker or third party are not those of UBS. Accordingly, UBS does not accept any liability over any such views and opinions expressed by such persons. This content is the valuable intellectual property of UBS, and UBS specifically prohibits the redistribution of it in whole or in part without its prior written permission. Copyright UBS 2022. The key symbol and UBS are among the registered and unregistered trademarks of UBS. All rights reserved.